Welcome to the Weight Solutions for Physicians podcast, the podcast that will help you find solutions for your weight concerns that will last a lifetime. Together, for you. Welcome to episode 55 of the Weight Solutions for Physicians podcast. I am your host, Siobhan Key. Today, we are talking about finances and the importance of understanding and managing your finances with my interview guest, Dr. Bonnie Koo. Now, you may wonder, what am I doing talking about finances on a weight loss podcast? And I really like to view weight loss from as many different aspects as we can. And for a lot of us, even though, you know, there's a lot of perception that physicians make a lot of money, there is a lot of financial stresses that go along with being a physician, particularly if you're a female physician and you don't have maternity leave and all that sort of stuff. And in general, I think there's a lot of us out there that just don't pay attention to our finances, which then also creates stress. And if you struggle with emotional eating and stress, those types of kind of background stressors that you may not actually be aware of can then influence your eating and your weight. And so I think it's useful to look at all the different areas of stress that can be occurring in your life and manage them. And I think overall, knowing your finances and having a good handle on them and knowing how you want to manage them, I think is a really important life skill in general, in particular, if you are a business owner as a physician, if you're in private practice. Bonnie Koo is a board-certified dermatologist and the founder of Wealthy Mom MD. She is also a financial coach for female physicians to understand their finances and reduce their anxiety over it. This podcast is coming out on December 30th, so right before the new year. And I think it's a good topic to talk about right before the new year, because I think finances are one of those things that it's worth reviewing once a year and deciding, are you happy with where you're at? Or are there things that you want to either develop knowledge with or change how you're managing so that maybe your next new year might have a different outlook and might feel a little less stressful? All right, let's get right to the interview. Here's Bonnie. All right. Welcome to the podcast, Bonnie. Thanks for joining me. Thanks so much for having me. Okay. So we're talking on a weight loss podcast about finances, but I do think this is important because it's a stressor for a lot of people. Um, And this is your wheelhouse, what you do a lot of. Can you just start by kind of telling us about the different things you see in women physicians and their finances and how it all relates? Sure. Well, that's kind of a big topic. Uh, you know, we're, I think we're different than, you know, maybe other audiences. And let's just talk about women, for example. You know, I think there's just sort of years or generations where women didn't need to know as much because our roles have been evolving, right? And most women physicians, many of us are breadwinners or we're um, a dual breadwinner, I should say, right? We're not generally low income earners unless we're like super part time. So I think, you know, unfortunately, no, no one teaches you about money growing up. It's not part of the curriculum in the United States. It's starting to in some places, but it's not, which I think is kind of crazy that you're not learning a basic life skill in, you know, the regular educational system. And then also there's this sort of fallacy that just because you're a physician and, you know, in the U.S. we do enjoy really great incomes, but just because you make money doesn't mean you know anything about how to manage it or what to do with it. And so unfortunately, at this time, you know, most of our financial education comes from your parents growing up. And then as an adult, it's 
well, who knows, right? <laughs> it's definitely not medical school. <laughs> like, you know, when I think about that they train us to essentially operate businesses for a lot of us and yet give us no actual information about how to do that. And that's a great point because, you know, it's changing in the U.S. a bit, you know, in terms of uh, the direction of where practices or private practices are going. But, you know, back in the day, that's what everyone did. They started their own shop, you know, if you're an outpatient physician anyway. And so it's, it is kind of nuts that they don't teach you anything about that business side of opening a practice when so many people do it. And when I talk to friends who are opening practices, you know, there's not like one source or one th- place you can go to to learn this. And it's all just talking to other people. It just seems really inefficient to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would absolutely agree with that. And so what, um, so people, you know, get through the medical school, they get into practice in whatever shape or form. And then where do you see people starting to run into difficulties with their finances? Well, I think it kind of depends because some people just kind of ignore everything, you know, as long as their checks aren't bouncing and stuff like that, you know, they don't even pay attention sometimes. And I also, you know, our training is so long here in the United States that I think a lot of us feel entitled to kind of loosen the purse strings and enjoy life. And we've arrived, right. Mm -hmm. we, We had, you know, a decade of training. And so all this delayed gratification is, has been pent up over time. So depending on the person, you know, it's not uncommon to see someone finish residency and then immediately go buy a doctor house, a doctor car, doctor handbags, right, for women. Um, So those expenses add up. And I think it just, it kind of just depends on where they're at financially, if they're with someone who also brings an income, you know, that sort of thing. But I think the sort of the lower paid specialties probably feel the pinch a bit more and they get sort of noticed early on that there's a problem or at least they think they have a problem anyway. You know, we have a high student loan debt burden in the United States and it doesn't matter what specialty you are. So it's unfortunate because, you know, a dermatologist like me can graduate with a quarter of a million dollars and, you know, a pediatrician can graduate with a quarter of a million dollars. And obviously our income potential is, you know, a little different. Mm-hmm. And so I think generally speaking, the lower paid specialties kind of are almost forced to pay attention earlier than maybe a higher paying specialty. But it just, I think just really depends on where they're at with their money. And what's, I've got lots of friends who don't pay attention and, and don't see reason to. So what, if somebody feels like, you know, the checks aren't bouncing, what's the problem with not paying attention or knowing your finances? Well, I would say, you know, it's all about having, you know, to me, money, having enough money is about freedom and flexibility. And so I think people, physicians are paying more attention in the United States because medicine is changing, unfortunately, the practice of medicine. Mm -hmm. Um, It's becoming less flexible. I sort of alluded earlier that there are less people opening their own practices. Um, So I think physician autonomy is declining. And so I think people are realizing when that happens and you, if you don't have enough money to support your decision to, you know, basically say, well, I'm not going to work in this type of environment, then they realize, oh, I can't, I can't leave because I need money. Mm-hmm. Does that makes so sense. So, kind of stuck. Yeah. And I think that's where it often, you know, from the standpoint of the weight stuff, when you start feeling stuck and you can't leave and then you start getting burnt out and, you know, it all kind of spirals together, right? Yeah. 
So if somebody's coming from the standpoint of not paying attention or having never learned any of this stuff, where do they start as a, you know, busy physician? How do they start understanding it, learning it and getting knowledge of their own situation? I think the great news is there are so many great resources ranging from free to paid. And so I just say, it just depends how you learn. So I like to give analogy of working out. So some people, you know, they don't need any help working out. They just go to the gym. They can create their own routine. I'm assuming they learned it from somewhere, but you know, there's people who just do that, don't need any outside help. Then there's people, and this is sort of like me, where I like to go to a class with an instructor, mainly because I'm really good at following directions. So if I show up somewhere, especially if I paid, because I don't want to lose whatever I paid, and they tell me what to do, and I trust them as an expert. And then there's the sort of the personal trainer model, right, where you have one-on-one -on -one attention. And then there's sort of models in between. So I think in terms of free stuff, there's so many great blogs out there, and that's all free. So, you know, my blog, Wealthy Mom MD, The White Coat Investor, um, these are blogs that cater towards two physicians. There's a bunch of other, you know, financial blogs out there as well. And then there's books. So books are, you know, like 20 bucks or less. And so the White Coat Investor has a great book. I don't have a book yet, but might be coming out in 2020. And there's podcasts. Uh, the White Coat Investor has a podcast. Uh, my podcast will be starting in early 2020 as well. And then there's courses and live events. And so for courses, you know, I do have a course that I offer and it's only open to women physicians. And people always ask me, well, how come? And I think this is something you'll understand is I think women physicians, we like to have our own private community. And I offer a private community as part of the course in terms of sort of support and accountability. And mm -hmm. I think that's important. At least I think it's important because I want to create a safe space where the women feel comfortable talking about money because money is often, you know, not just a taboo topic, it's emotional, people are embarrassed, there's shame. And so I want to create an environment where they felt safe to not only just discuss these topics, but also um, not get judged. Right. And the um, it's interesting, you know, that that's another parallel between the weight stuff and the money stuff, right? Is both areas we can share carry kind of that secret shame, right? That you don't actually tell anybody that you're ashamed about, um, but it ultimately can kind of weigh on you or drag you down. So, sorry, were you going to say something? Oh, I was going to say, speaking, you know, of shame, you know, one thing I will say is I think the topic of weight is less taboo than money. I don't know if you agree with this because people, mm -hmm. I think you'll get a few women together and they'll talk about their weight. Like they'll say, oh, I weigh this or I weigh that. They'd be, they're much more comfortable saying that versus saying how much they make. Yeah. That's do you agree with that? Yeah, I would. That, and I think maybe some of it is that weight is, you know, more visible. Uh, right. That, and and it's talked about in our environment a lot more too, right? But yeah, that's an yeah. interesting point. Talking about exactly how much you make and what you do with your money is not really a socially acceptable conversation topic at all. Yeah. Why do you think that is? Hmm. Well, I don't know the history of it, but I just imagine that, yeah, just like Pete, just a lot of shame and, you know, it can be seen as bragging. I think it just depends on the people, you know, it depends on people. Cause I have a group of friends where we talk about money all the time. Yeah. And we talk about, you know, we're very transparent about things. So I think it just depends on the circle of people. Um, but yeah, that's, that's something I'm, you know, trying to change is to sort of make it, I guess, less embarrassing, you know, 
I want it to be transparent, especially among physicians, because it's not like I don't know what other specialties make, generally speaking. You know, it's not like this number that I can't find out. You know, there there are like data points on that. You know, in the US, we have the MGMA data. So these are like averages and medians, but still, it's not like I have no idea what other people are making. So I do think it's a little silly that we can't talk about our salaries. And this also goes into, you know, when women are, you know, looking for jobs and negotiating contracts, like it's a known fact that women tend to negotiate less than men. And so that's, you know, just one piece of the gender pay gap here. Um, but it's, I think, just ties back into, you know, the unwillingness to talk about money and feeling ashamed or we feel bad for asking for more money, that all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Which is like a whole topic unto itself, hey? Yeah. Um, so let's talk about budgeting. Um, so the kind of dreaded word of a budget when you're like just out of residency and you're like, finally, but tell me your thoughts on the, the best way and whether people should be kind of looking at their financial standpoint from like a budget type process. Yeah. So I call it the B word. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think it's funny. I think words make a difference, you know, the actual words and that used to describe something. So I think budget can have a negative connotation. It just depends on your upbringing. Also budget feels like, at least to me, and this is obviously sort of my own sort of stuff coming in is it feels like you have to cut something out, you know, it has that connotation of cutting expenses and constraining things like not generally speaking, not positive thoughts about money. So I actually prefer the the term spending plan better. And I think mm-hmm. even with eating diets also have that negative connotation versus mm-hmm. like an eating plan. I don't know if that's the term that you use to describe. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I see budgets as let's, Spending plan, sorry. Spending plan as, well, first it's like, it's all about sort of understanding how you're spending your money. And so one of the things I teach, you know, to my students is, and this is for people who, you know, don't know what's going on with their money, which is, you know, most of my students is I tell them to just look at the last three months of spending. You know, most people talk about spending plans or budgeting in terms of month, a monthly sort of system, but that doesn't work for everyone because especially if you're a practice owner or entrepreneur, the money coming in every month is sort of erratic. Um, But I guess it's still easier to look at your expenses monthly or annual. And I just had them take a look and I, I, I really asked them to look at it as data points. Like, you know, you're looking at three months of experiments, so to speak, just look at really try to be a third party observer, try not to judge. And you're just, sort of observing where the money was spent on. And, and this is when you can start making some, what I call conscious decisions on where you want to spend your money. Um, and then, you know, a lot of people talk about cutting expenses and, you know, I talk about, you know, constraining certain expenses. If it's some, you know, you, you might notice for the first time, holy crap, I didn't know I spent that much money on whatever, let's say lattes. Right. Mm-hmm. And you might find like, you're just really not interested in doing that again. So that's kind of an easy thing to change. And so I'll have people examine that, but I think it's way easier to teach people how to make more money than to cut expenses. So not to say you shouldn't cut expenses. I just also don't like the word cutting because that also sounds like a diet to me. Mm-hmm. It's just more of you know being conscious of how you spend your money, just being intentional about where the money is going. Mm-hmm. So that's how I try to look at it and try to teach that to my students. Because otherwise it's, I think budgeting and cutting is kind of, very few people enjoy that. Some people love being frugal. And so I talk about that too. If 
being frugal feels good to you and makes you happy, like go for it. But if you're someone who's like, I don't want to be frugal, I don't want to cut, like you don't have to. Right. And so the flip side of that then is the, if if you're not cutting and you need more money, it would be figuring out how to generate more money. And so what ways do you teach people to do that? So I don't teach specific methods. Like I'll give examples, but like so many people don't even consider the possibility of making more money. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Like I just asked a question like, well, have you thought about making more money? And people don't are like, what? You know, they don't Mm -hmm. even think about it because they're sort of, you know, typical just job that's salaried or maybe it's not salaried. So if they're not salaried, being they're working on what we call collections or sort of RVU based in the U.S., they have to see more patients to make more money, but that's one way to look at it. So we also talk about where money comes from. And so a lot of us, unfortunately, think about money in terms of a, a time value, or I guess for physicians, a per patient value type thing, mm-hmm. you know, but I try to teach that, well, we all have the same 24 hours a day. And just because this is the way you're making money now, when you're thinking linearly about money, like, oh, well, the only way I can make more money is to see more patients. I really just encourage them to sort of brainstorm or just, you know, even just spend some time thinking about how they would make more money. Cause it's just something people don't even think about. Mm-hmm. They just assume they don't have a say in that, you know? Yeah. And I think I, I definitely was in that spot for quite a while where I just assumed like we're fee for service where I work. And so just, it was always, if you want to make more money, you have to then see more patients work more, but that also comes with the generating of more paperwork and all the extras that come with each of those patient appointments, right? Yeah. I, you know, I feel like I'm just encouraging them to just spend some time thinking outside the box, you know, cause mm-hmm. it's like people don't even like give themselves the time to, to do that. So for example, like we all kind of know, we hear people saying, Oh, you, you know, I started journaling or I started doing this, you know, some sort of practice where they're spending some quiet time with themselves. And so I encourage the a similar type of practice where just put a timer for 30 minutes and just start thinking. And I'll, I'll give them some sample questions to get them started. And you might be familiar with this. I think, you know, Brooke Castillo calls it super thinking. Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of a similar type of exercise where I just make suggested questions like, how can I make more money? What are some things I can do? And I just let, you know, giving themselves that time and space to just think and also write it down because keeping in your head and writing it down are very different things. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And so along those lines, you're currently uh, working on a life coach certification program through the same place I went through with Brooke Castillo. How yeah. is that? Like some people might not see how life coaching connects with money, but how does it work together? So the reason why I decided to do it was because I think it's got everything to do with money. And so, you know, one quote I say a lot, and Tony Robbins didn't make it up, but you've heard of the 80-20 principle. I think it's also Mm -hmm. called the Pareto principle. So um, what Tony says is, you know, 20% of whatever you're trying to study, whether it's money, whether it's losing weight, you know, 20% of it is strategy, like what you actually have to do, you know, eat less, whatever, make more money. 80% is the mindset. And so, as you know, that's what life coaching addresses. It addresses your thoughts, your beliefs, everything swirling in that brain of ours that we think we have no control over, but we have so much control over. And so as I have been working with my own life coach, who was trained also by Brooke Castillo, it just became apparent to me that this is kind of 
like the huge missing piece in a lot of financial education. I also mm-hmm. felt it was going to help me be more effective at, you know, helping women physicians to learn about money because teaching this how to is easy. Like that's the easy part. And I, I, I enjoy that part too. That's why I do this money stuff. And then the mindset stuff is really the part that's really going to get them to implement the strategies I teach them. Right. Cause mm-hmm. it doesn't matter. Like they're all fully capable of learning the action items, the strategies, you know, after all, we're all physicians, right? So there's a base level of intelligence that's, you know, higher than the average person, I guess. And so I'm not worried about their ability to learn the stuff. It's the mindset piece that I think we had the most trouble with. And so what, what sort of mindset traps do you see people in? Um, Yeah. So I'll give you an example that I'd love to mm -hmm. talk about is, you know, I, I hear and also see just, you know, in Facebook or whatever social media outlets, people say things like, well, I can't afford that. And that's Mm -hmm. a seemingly innocent thought, right? Mm -hmm. Like, oh, I just can't afford that. And then as you and I know that because of that statement, it kind of, you just stop thinking once you say that. You've, you've sort of like come to this conclusion that said, there's nothing else I can do. And so I actually tell my students to never use that phrase ever again <laughs> and to instead, you know, ask a question. So I always encourage them to turn whatever statement they think is true into a question. So the question for that is, how can I afford this? Mm-hmm. Or if it's something they don't want to, or if there's something that they feel like they, not that they can't afford, but they're choosing not to spend money on, that's also a different type of thought, right? You know, I'm choosing to spend my money on this instead of that. And so yeah. that, that change in language is so powerful though, because once and, you say I can't afford this, like you just stop entertaining any other possibilities. Yeah. And you know, that has such a similar analogy to the eating stuff that we talk about. Same thing. Like if you say, I can't eat that, your brain has a very different reaction for eating. It usually doesn't stop it. It usually then ultimately you might end up eating it because you feel deprived versus if you think I choose, I'm choosing to eat this food that makes me feel good. Or, you know, I choose not to eat that because I know it'll make me feel poorly. Yeah. So but like eating overeating and overspending are kind of similar. And so I'm sure you talk about or or teach your students about urges, right? Mm Mm-hmm. So there are people who, instead of overeating, they're overspenders. You know, it's just their method of, you know, whatever they're doing to kind of cope with, you know, certain emotions. So um, a lot of overspenders out there. <laughs> yeah. And so the approach is similar in that, like, basically allowing the urge, allowing the kind of craving to spend and experience it, but not pushing it away. Is that the approach you use? Uh, exactly. Yeah. And then what are some beliefs? and mindset stuff that you think it's helpful for uh, like women to take on about money? Yeah. So I think two things, one is the principle of scarcity versus abundance. So Mm -hmm. I don't know if there's something similar within, you know, weight loss, but you know, just briefly, you know, the scarcity mindset is there's only a certain amount of money in the sky. So people, some people really feel there's like a finite amount of money. Let's just call it like a pie and that you're only allocated a certain amount of the pie on the, or on the flip side, that if you make more money, that means someone else is making less. So that's a really common perception out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that also, you know, ties into the second thing I want to say, which is people think money is bad or that if you want money you're greedy and rich people are bad, you know, all that type of old 
current beliefs out there. And on the flip side, there's the abundance mindset, which says basically there is an infinite amount of wealth out there. And if you make more money, that does not mean someone's making less. If you make more money, you can actually do more good in the world. You can make more impact, um, you know, that sort of thinking. Um, and then going along with that, saying that money is easy. It's easy to make money. You know, just because you're, you don't have money now doesn't mean you can't make money in the future. And so it's a little bit, you know, more in depth than just saying being positive about money versus negative about money. Um, but starting with those two principles are important. Mm -hmm. So starting to look at it from a place of abundance instead of scarcity, which I think our society focuses a lot on money scarcity, right? Like it's, Oh, totally. Yeah. Not enough. Nobody has enough. Um, yeah, definitely the whole not enough. And then another innocent thought similar to, I can't afford this, which doesn't sound bad. Right. Is, you know, I have, you know, I should be grateful for what I have. You know, a lot of hmm. higher earning people say that, or even it doesn't really matter what you earn, right? They think like, oh, well, I shouldn't want more. Mm -hmm. You know, I should be grateful for what I have. And that's also, in my opinion, a seemingly innocent, but also a deadly thought in terms of, you know, your, your money thoughts. So, because it just kind of gets you stalled, basically, if, like makes you feel guilty and you don't go anywhere. Yeah, basically. Yeah. Okay. Any other like last minute kind of practical tips? Practical you? tips. Well, do you have any good ones? Well, you know, we, we've talked a lot about, you know, sort of thoughts, beliefs, and, you know, coaching aspects and, mm -hmm. you know, financial literacy is important. So it is important that, um, or we're listening to this, you know, if you're feel like you're someone who wants to learn more about money, you know, you should, cause that's a huge part of learning how to master money and making the money work for you. And ultimately the goal is to make money when you're not quote unquote working. Mm -hmm. And that's how all wealthy people make their money. Mm -hmm. And so, so you're talking more kind of like what's called passive income streams. So yeah, passive and also just uh, investing the money wisely and learning how to do that. And so right. you really need to have an abundance mindset to invest properly. Otherwise, you're just going to be scared and fearful of losing money. And losing money is part of investing. And so I think just accepting that fact will help you. And mm -hmm. money does not mean you're not going to make the money back, for example. And so I kind of went off track here. But I think learning the strategy is important. But, you know, the mindset piece is also so important, too. Yeah. Excellent. And so where can people find you? Sure. So my website is Wealthy Mom MD and all of my social media handles are also at Wealthy Mom MD. So I do have handles on most platforms, but I'm really only on Facebook. I'm barely on Instagram, but I also have Twitter as well. So you can find me on those places, but I'm not always there. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds great. Thank you so much for coming on, Bonnie. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks so much. So lots of great information there. And uh, Bonnie is a really good source for information of all things financial. Obviously, we couldn't get into everything in the time frame for one podcast. But you can check her out at WealthyMomMD.com. And in her private Facebook group, Wealthy Mom Physicians. Okay, guys, if you are enjoying this podcast, uh, I'd really appreciate it if you could take the time to write a review. I appreciate and read all the reviews that get left. Uh, and if you want to make sure you get every single episode that comes out, make sure you hit the subscribe button on whatever platform you listen to. 
and share with your friends, whoever you think might enjoy or benefit from this podcast. All right. Happy New Year, everyone. Next time I talk to you, it will be the new year and we will start off talking all things resolutions, not in the bad way. Okay, join me next week and we'll get you set up for a great year. Talk to you later. Bye. And now for a quick disclaimer, this podcast contains general education information on weight loss for physicians. I'm not providing medical advice and listening to this podcast does not create a physician-patient relationship. This podcast does not replace the need for consultation with a licensed professional and no information should be relied upon unless you have obtained specific advice or treatment from myself or another physician. Please review the terms and conditions located at www.weightsolutionsforphysicians.ca before continuing.